Our second lesson today uh, comes from the Gospel according to Luke. Again, we're in a Luke year for our lectionary readings. Chapter 11, beginning with the first verse. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give each of us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Here ends our second reading. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm curious uh, when the first time it happened for you was. When was the first time that you doubted the power and efficacy of prayer? When was it? Was it when you were a kid? It wasn't just by accident that I was asking those children those questions, by the way. Legitimately curious. When was the first time you started to doubt that prayer works? Was it when you were a child and there you were and there was that thing you really wanted, that toy that your neighbor had that you wish you had, and so you sat there and you prayed for it and you prayed for it and then you didn't get that toy. And you said, oh well, prayer just doesn't work. Or maybe you were in middle school and there was that boy or girl that you were really interested in and you really wanted that attention, and you wanted to have that first kiss so that you could show to your friends that you were just as good as everyone else and that you could live up to those social expectations, and you knew it was not going to work, that person wasn't going to say yes, and you just prayed and you prayed and you prayed, and then the person said no. Or maybe it was before a big test in high school that you really needed to pass. Maybe it was a job you needed. Maybe it was that parking spot, you know, that parking spot you really wanted, the good one. Come on, God, come on. Or maybe it was for a loved one, for a loved one who was ill. 
And you prayed and you prayed, and it seemed like nothing happened. When did you start to doubt the efficacy of prayer? Because if you're like most people, I bet you have. I bet at certain points, maybe when you were a kid, the power of prayer was something that was big in you. I remember when I read the Bible when I was in middle school, and one of the things that struck me when I was reading the Bible in middle school was that, gosh, if I just had the faith of a mustard seed, you know, think about what that could happen. I could move mountains. I mean, when I read the Gospels, this really struck me. I'm like, I just need more faith. If I just had more faith, then everything would be better. I could literally do whatever. I could have all the power that Jesus has, right? That's what I thought, and I prayed, and I prayed, and eventually... I stopped believing that. One of the things that I think happens to a lot of people, particularly uh, honest Christians, is that they might still believe in God. God exists for philosophical reasons. You can say, oh yeah, we need a first mover. We need, uh, the world is so great that we need God to be. Um, You can come up, uh, there's a good moral center to the universe, so we need God. You can give different philosophical reasons for God. Um, you find comfort in the knowledge of God. Maybe you experience God in certain places in your everyday life. You've, you've got God. The God part, you got. Okay, fine. However you want to describe it, you've got God. But then what about the prayer life? If you're honest with yourself, how often do you pray? How much does it shape you? And why is that? So in our text for this morning, it comes right after our text for last week, which was with Martha and Mary. Uh, where Jesus, again, is asking us to focus on the spiritual things uh, first and foremost. Uh, after that, Jesus goes out and he's, he's praying. And after he's done praying, one of his disciples, that's just like you, goes over to Jesus and says, can you teach us how to do it? Teach us how to pray? What am I doing wrong? I want to know. You know, John teaches his disciples, can, can you teach us? And then Jesus does. Now, what's cool about this, the text we have for today in the Gospel of Luke, this is an older version, hence the highlights. Uh, The text we have for today in the Gospel of Luke, um, again, mirrors a similar text in the Gospel of Matthew. The version in the Gospel of Matthew is much more familiar to us. That's the one we pray every morning, or every Sunday morning. Uh, This version, according to most scholars, is probably a more original version, though. It comes from uh, a source that scholars call Q-source. So here we've got the original Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. You've heard it so many times, I don't know if you really see what's going on there. It's kind of weird, actually, when you read it through. Your name be hallowed and be made holy. It's a reference to the book of Ezekiel. It means, God, let your name be the one that dominates everything. I want you to rule. It's very similar to the next line. Your kingdom come. I want justice to rule. Those people who are against you, those people who are greedy, those people who are bad, those people who do wrong things, I want them done. Okay? I want them put aside. I want your will to reign. I want everyone to be fed. I want peace to reign. I want everyone around a table. This is what I want, God. Let's get to it. First part. Then, oh, by the way, I'm an itinerant preacher. All my disciples are itinerant, and we're really hungry. So, can we have some food? Or whatever it is for you on a daily basis. 
Let me not yell at my spouse (laughs) or my friends or my kids. Give me what I need for the day. And another one saying, hey, forgive me for messing up. I messed up. I violated your rules, God. I hurt someone else. Forgive me. And then, yeah, I probably should forgive others. And then this last one, lead us not into temptation. Temptation, this Greek word is most likely um, time of trial, time of testing. Save me from the time, either the time of testing at the end of days, as some interpret it, or a time of testing. Those times that bring you to your knees and crush your soul. Those periods of existential angst, save me from those. I don't want to be in one of those places. Please deliver me from those places. That's the prayer. What strikes you about it? At least what strikes me about it is how selfish it is. <laughs> God, I want all of the bad guys done, okay? All those people that I yell about and rant about constantly to my friends, yeah, them done, okay? I want what I need, like bread and other things. I want you to forgive me so that I'm all good. And by the way, I don't want to go through any really hard times. Boom. <laughs> Seems pretty me-focused, if you ask me. It's like, okay, this Lord's Prayer thing, a little different than I thought. There's also the famous first line, the first word, of course, Father. Scholars have made much of this, uh, that Jesus would refer to, Jesus, refer to God as Father. There's a certain degree of intimacy there, of closeness, that would have been unusual for prayers of the day. Then there's this great follow-up that Luke adds to this. This awesome story <laughs> of, the, of the guy and his neighbor, and I love it. It's like, one in the morning, you get a phone call, good friend of yours, uh, their plane got delayed uh, at, at Bush Airport and needs a place to crash. Hey, do you mind if I come down and stay? No problem, got a guest room, come down. 1.30 in the morning, they come in. Guy's exhausted, hungry. Hey, do you have anything to eat? Sorry, fresh out, but I got a neighbor. Uh, let's go wake him up. I actually, actually know him pretty well. So you go over and start knocking on a neighbor's door and the neighbor like yells down. It's like, hey, John, like, no, I'm asleep. See you later. Uh, okay, fine. And you just keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking. And eventually you're so annoying that the neighbor's like, fine, what do you want? It's like, well, I have some chips and salsa and you should throw in some beer too for my friend because he probably needs it. (laughs) That's what Jesus says next. Again, a little unusual. And then this whole thing about asking and it'll be given to you. So what do we make of this? Again, it strikes me just how how selfish and self-centered these prayers are. And then to keep asking. This is Jesus' advice on prayer. (laughs) Pretty remarkable, don't you think? Well, the more I think about it, the more I realize if God is God, God knows what's on your heart already. God already knows what you want. God knows your selfish desires. In fact, God might know those better than you do. So why not just be honest with God and say, this is what I really want? What do you think that honesty would do to be able to say to God, God, this is what I actually want. I'm not going to tell you what I think you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you what I actually want to hear. I'm going to be selfish for a moment before you, God, and I'm going to say, this is what I really want. Something trivial, something major, doesn't matter. Just open your heart up to God. God, this is what I really want. What happens when you do that? This is where you're able to actually create a certain amount of honesty and integrity with God. 
And if you can actually open up to God about this on a more regular basis, it can create some sort of deeper connection there, some sort of friendship. If it's all about a formal prayer that you say before a meal, before you go to bed, because that's what you're supposed to do or what you were taught as a kid, what good is that? What if you had a conversation with God during the day where you can actually say, God, this is what I really want, please. Open it up. Here you, you have that connection like you see in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says to God, Father, a certain intimacy that can only come with radical honesty about where you are and what you actually want, regardless of how selfish it might seem. Because God already knows you're selfish. God made you. And God still loves you. Even with all those desires and wants. And then there's this bit about keep asking. Funny thing about keeping asking is it starts to filter out those priorities in that want bit that you've got within you. You might ask for the parking spot once because you think you want it. But what about those things that you keep asking for? If you keep asking for something, then clearly it's something that's important. The things that are less important, more trivial, more artificial, if you keep asking, those things eventually just pass away. So don't worry about asking for them because you're probably not going to keep asking them. And you know what? God probably won't answer those prayers anyway. But then there's the prayers that you keep asking for. The ones that stick in your heart, that keep nudging you, that keep disturbing you. And then therefore you keep asking them and keep asking them and keep asking them. And then something else happens. Those prayers begin to be refined. And you start to see what God might be telling you or nudging you to do. Or God might be revealing something that you didn't realize. One of the times that I prayed most earnestly, at least one that sticks in my head, is when I was in divinity school. I was in my second year of divinity school, and I got word that the younger brother of my best friend in college was diagnosed with cancer, bone cancer. And I was living in New Haven, Connecticut at the time, and this family actually lived in New Haven, Connecticut, right down the street from where I was living. So I knew them very, very well from college days and then kept, very, kept in close touch with them. And I found this news just utterly devastating. Here was someone who was 22 years old, uh, struck down with cancer. And I was outraged at the injustice of it. And I was living at the time above an old parish house next to a Lutheran church. And I remember sneaking into the Lutheran church and going down to the altar and literally just throwing myself on my knees and praying as, as hard as I could and just with tears streaming my face for this guy that I knew well that just please let this 22-year-old be healed. And I don't know how long I stayed there, but I stayed there for a long time on my knees praying for this guy, John. And what happened was uh, he was able to be cured of his cancer, which is pretty incredible. Um, but one of the th- another thing that happened was that he and his parents had a fractured relationship. He was a middle child uh, with two kids on either side who were super high achievers and uh, felt as sort of the, the left-out kid, even though his parents would never ever envision it that way. That's the way he interpreted it. 
And he was off in Pittsburgh, and that's where he went to school, and that's where he was living after college. And after he was done at Memorial Sloan Kettering with his cancer treatments, he insisted on going back to Pittsburgh. That was, that was the deal. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll, go to, I'll, go to, I'll go to Sloan Kettering like you want me to, but I'm, I'm going to go back to Pittsburgh afterwards as soon as I can so I can be with my girlfriend. So he goes back to Pittsburgh, and um, he ended up coming down with uh, infection, complication, complicated infection, was in the hospital. Uh, the hospital immediately called the parents, and he died while his parents were in the air on their way to Pittsburgh. And the reality is, is that those parents um, will not be able to put that out of their minds until the day they die. Um, if he had stayed at Sloan Kettering, maybe he would have been alive. If something else had been different, maybe something else would have worked out a different way. I don't know. But what I do know, thinking about that in, the, in hindsight, was maybe I was praying for the wrong thing. Maybe praying for healing a body wasn't actually as important as praying for healing within the family. Maybe that's, maybe that's actually what was more necessary. Everyone dies. Some die well before their time. Um, but maybe what's really needed, in some cases, is some sort of reconciliation. And that's one of the regrets I have about my father and his death. I prayed for my father during his cancer treatments, for sure, for his healing. Um, but one thing I didn't find in my heart to pray hard enough for was some sort of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so when he died, we were never fully reconciled to the sort of differences between us. And it still sits with me. Maybe if I had kept praying, kept asking, I would have seen maybe what was more important in my prayers. Maybe what I needed more than anything else was more persistence in prayer. When I was thinking about this uh, sermon this past week, one of the things that came into my mind is the need to give myself some way to remind myself to pray more regularly, to have that open honesty and just radical honesty with God. How can I do that? How can I remind myself to do that? And so I was looking around for my old rosary beads. Uh, yes, as a Protestant, I still have rosary beads somewhere. Um, and I couldn't find them, so I ordered uh, a new set, and they should be arriving soon. And one of the things that I aim to do is just keep them in my pocket, these sort of cloth rosary beads. And if, you know, if you're familiar with the rosary, it's got little five knots in between the big knots. Um, and it'd be a reminder to try and pray five times for something. Pray consistently for something. And see how it shapes me. Every time I feel my hand in my pocket, I try and remind myself to do that. To try and train myself to be better at prayer. I don't know what discipline you might want to pick up. I don't know what you might want to do to listen to the words of Jesus in this. But I'd encourage you to think about something you can do. Maybe something you hang in your car so that every time you get in your car, you're reminded to pray for something, honestly. And it can be just as frivolous as possible. Again, open-hearted prayer. But something in your life that can give you that nudge. And again, if there's one image from this text that sticks in my head that I want to leave you with, it's that text of that dude who goes to his neighbor and keeps knocking on the door. You know that person. <laughs> Maybe you have a little petulant child inside you that needs to get out every once in a while. But think of that image of someone just knocking on the door to the point of annoyance. 
That's the image that you can stick in your head. Keep asking those prayers. Keep knocking on that door. And you never know what will happen in the exchange.